0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. Welcome to the Capital Club podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, Visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn.
2: Hello and welcome to the conversation. Today I'm excited to have with me Reg Atwal. He is the founder and chairman of RTS Global Partners, including the Family Business Academy and TAO Legacy Family Office is focused on building family business legacies. He has personally advised over 200 family businesses to date, all the way from the first to the 12th generation, and educated 30,000 in 65 countries via private programs and speeches. He is also the best-selling author with book number seven coming out in March 2022, which we will get to, which is called The Family Business Messenger. Reg, thank you for joining me today.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Much appreciate, Brian.
2: Absolutely. So we connected through YPO. And I want to get into your core business. But before we get there, you are a a prolific presenter. I mean, you have done YPO, EO, Vistage, you name it, these big CEO peer networks you have presented to that world. How did you get into, into that business?
1: Oh, long story, but a uh, great question, great starting question. I think I think in life, sometimes we have certain intentions or dreams, aspirations, and we don't know exactly how they're going to show up. We, we end up meeting mm-hmm. a certain individual, a certain time in our life, and one thing leads to another. And, and for me, that link to this whole industry was through the Professional Speakers Association in the United Kingdom. So I had met a few people through that association. Eventually, became the youngest president of that organization in the UK, and that opened up a new world for me of people who were being paid to speak as experts, as authorities in their in their domains. And uh, eventually, through a referral. I was introduced to Vistage in the UK and eventually the US, which is one of the world's largest CEO, private CEO organizations. And there's many out there, as you've mentioned, a few, the Young Presidents Organization, Entrepreneurs Organization, spin-off alumni groups from Harvard Business School and many others. So yeah, that's how it started. And there was an opportunity to be in front of 15 decision makers. I remember my first ever forum and event and they asked me to come and present. But it was very, very clear that they were asking me to present, but they were also assessing whether this is someone we should have on our books or not and open up the Rolodex to other groups around the world. And luckily enough, I did well and made an impact. And, and, and as you know, with your experience, if you do a good job, come from your heart, speak with passion, committed to what you're doing, people see that. And uh, then they're open to referring you to other people. So that's how the journey started.
2: And that organization you mentioned in uh, Britain, would that be akin to like a Toastmasters that we have here in the US, a professional? uh...
1: Yeah. So the the difference is the Toastmasters is predominantly for people who are starting off and would like to practice and learn the art of presenting and speaking. While the professional speaking association And the National Speakers Association in America, which is affiliated to the same group, is for people who speak on a platform of any type, whether it will be as trainers, educators, keynote speakers, business people who are speaking, but they are paid to speak. So it's a profession. And the same way you would train up to be a lawyer or a doctor, an accountant or a dentist or any profession, it is a profession. and. And there's levels, there's there's an associate level, then there's a full member level, and then eventually there's a few hundred of us around the world, which are what we call fellow members or certified speaking professionals. And to achieve that status, one must have delivered a few thousand paid presentations to qualify.
2: So that was going to be my question is how many, as we would say in America, reps, or how many, (laughs) you probably lost count at this point, but I mean... You've got thousands under your belts now.
1: Well, I I keep a track. You do, okay? Yeah, I I absolutely keep a track. It's important to me. So up pre pandemic, two thousand one hundred and fifty. Wow, and and then during just the last twelve months alone online, I've done three hundred and eight in the so last twelve months. I wanted
2: to. That was where I wanted to segue to is. These organizations historically were in-person, right? And and keynotes or presentations or, or whatever the term you want to use for the, the speeches you make, typically done in-person. Sometimes they're recorded. I mean, I watched a number of them on YouTube that you've done. How has COVID changed that business for you? Are you, are you able to have more volume and, and more opportunities to present? And, and have you started doing them back in-person again?
1: Yeah, great questions. I, th- I think that the world has definitely changed where it's all about hybrid now. I think that's the new normal. So there's, there's opportunities where I could be in person, but there's screens around and we're engaging with hundreds, sometimes even thousands of people all over the world at the same time. In other cases, I could be here in my office virtual. But there's many, many different screens. And in some of those screens, there's conference rooms and there's 10 or 15 or 20 people in each of those respective conference rooms or meeting rooms. So I think the world has really changed on, on how we deliver content. We have to become more engaging. We have to understand the tech component. But in my world, it's not all about speeches. I mean, so I don't want your audience to to think, oh, this guy just speaks all day long, delivers keynote speeches. Absolutely not. I think there's a balance of different things I do, whether it's family meetings, family board meetings, family forums, retreats, and then keynote speeches to public type forums, conferences, summits. But most of my work is very private. So I'd say 80% of my work is private. 20% I would show up in the public domain. Regarding recording, I think that's also a trend that's happening. I used to do a lot on YouTube, but then I found an app called Clubhouse uh, a year ago and then created the Family Business Academy Club on Clubhouse because it was all digital audio. And that opened up a new world where, as a result of that, we've delivered well over 300 live episodes. It's a bit like a podcast and a radio show with a live audience and dynamic where different people are coming in, in and out of the room all the time. So it's a really interesting platform. And I think that's also changed things, uh, Brian, because now it's not just about being on video. People are now seeing and understanding the power of the voice where well, you could go on an app, you could be anywhere in the world, press the button and you're in. And you're now listening to a presenter or an expert speaker, and you can also engage with them. So it's amazing how the, the world has shifted just in 18 months.
2: Well, and for context, you're it's 7 a.m. here in Nashville, Tennessee, Central Standard Time, and you're in Dubai, correct?
1: Dubai, yeah. It's just phone just past by PM here.
2: Yeah, so just unbelievable. We take it for granted now, but just how much technology has changed the ability to send these messages out across the world and make these type of connections. I mean, that's why YPO and these communities are so powerful. So before we get into the, the core work, somebody who's done as many talks as you have, and as accomplished as you are. Lessons learned, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's been a learning curve for you, right? And you're always working on your craft. Are, are there some things about doing these live presentations that people don't fully appreciate if they've only been in the audience, they've never been up on stage?
1: Definitely. Great question. There's There's a lot of prep work that goes into this. And like any profession, once you've done it, a hundred times, a thousand times. Yes, you you, you get to a state of having a tremendous amount of confidence and belief in what you do, but there's still a lot of prep work, whether that prep work includes understanding the audience. uh, No two audiences are going to be the same. You've got different human beings in the room, different hearts, different minds, different challenges, issues that they have. So for me, understanding the audience is really, really important. Uh, What what are their challenges right now? What are they going through? Uh, In my world of the family business, family office space, there's a huge difference between family SMEs, first-generation entrepreneurs, an audience like that, compared to a second, third, fourth-generation family business, compared to a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, multi-generational family business. The dynamics will be different. The challenges will be different. So I think understanding the audience first and foremost, and then thinking about with the time that I've got, what do I want to achieve with this group? What is the end result? What am I trying to achieve here? Is it to create awareness? Is it to inspire them with stories and case studies? Does it need to have an element of engagement where people are involved in some type of exercise? wanting to get a personal breakthrough? Is it a combination of all those things? So we have to factor, the, factor these things in as professionals to, to, to design something where we've got one chance to, to really make an impact. And I'm a firm believer that stories are great because I think that connects with people's hearts and people remember stories for, for decades uh, off the back of hearing someone present. But I'm a firm believer that there needs to be substance as well. Um, there's a lot of noise out there in the world and people can talk and talk, but it has to link to substance. You know, leave people with two or three things that they can apply. So for me, at the end of every session I do, I'm thinking about what decision is this group going to make for themselves? What action are they going to take? What have I left them with where they can apply something? And if that happens, I've done my job.
2: Yeah. Well, it's impressive. And I've seen a number of them. One more thought along that line before we get to the actual kind of your, your core business work. You've mentioned in some of these presentations about encouraging, be it family office leaders or small business leaders or private business leaders to do what you do more, which is be on stage, make presentations, be involved in these conferences. Have you seen that hesitancy go away over the course of your career? With social media and people becoming more comfortable in this concept of a personal brand being important in the business context, or do you still find that there are some barriers there? And I'm sure there's differences between a family office, which might be a little bit more discreet versus a private business, which has to be in the public eye to some extent.
1: Yeah, there's different elements to to your question, Brian. I think you've got, if i if in my world, if I break it down to three areas, there's a personal brand, there's a business brand, and then there's also a family brand. So I think we need to get clear as an individual, what is your personal brand? And that personal brand, if, you, if you're deciding to become more visible in the marketplace, because some people are introverts, they, 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 they run their world behind the screen with their keyboard. And there's others who are more visible. I'm a firm believer, it doesn't matter about your values. You could have someone who's a real extrovert, loud versus someone who's calm, relaxed, fairly quiet. And I don't think there's there's no right or wrong there. I think the key here is with your question is that you get your personal brand out there. If you get your personal brand out there, whatever your approach is, you become visible, more people connect with you. And in today's world, when it comes to business brands, do do people really buy a logo or a business brand or are they buying people? So if that CEO, chairman, founder can get out there, whether it's online, uh, doing things online or ideally in person as well. They're going to connect with with people in a completely different way. And that's how you can end up building rela- new relationships, whether it's cus- for customer acquisition, joint ventures, partnerships. Maybe there's talent in that room and someone says, wow, I really want to work with him. I really want to work with her. Uh, I really resonate with this person's message. I like their values. I like their approach. So I think that's important. And And the other side of it is if you're not visible and you're not out there, then people forget about you. And, and in the last 10, 15 years, we've seen what's happened with social media where there's, there's there could be a young entrepreneur out there who's 23, 24 years of age competing with a 65-year-old. And that next gen member is out competing that person who's been around for decades because they are more visible and people are connecting with them and people are finding them. So I think this is important. And then It links to the business brand because it creates leverage for the business brand. And then in my world, you've got the family brand because you've got the family name. You've got that identity. You've got that reputation. That also needs to be expressed out there of what you're doing for your employees, what you're doing for your customers, what you're doing for your community, what social impact that you're creating. And all your values and your philosophy are linked to that. And that becomes the family brand that should also be passed down from one generation to the next. So I hope, I hope that answers your question or helps.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. So let's segue that into this family space. How did you start to get involved initially working with, let's call them family businesses, and we'll just include family offices and, and private companies within that bucket?
1: Yeah, I've, I've got a deep story connected to the last 20, 21 years, and that really starts off from my grandfather. My grandfather was the first What I'd call proper entrepreneur uh, eventually became a serial entrepreneur, involved in many things in our family tree. And he was born in in India in a place called Punjab, which is northern part of India. And started off in the agro industry, and then from there, farming and properties and and other areas. And he was someone who was driven by Mm. building things, creating wealth, and also a humanitarian, giving back. And the second generation, my father's generation with the boys and girls, there's three boys. And my father is the eldest of the male bloodline descendants within the, within the family tree. And my father was privileged enough to go to the UK at a very young age and then ended up settling there. I'm the eldest of the male bloodline, third generation, grew up in London. And every year with with my parents and I've got a younger sister, we'd, we'd travel to India and meet my grandparents, meet the family. And my grandfather would always spend quality time with me, one-to-one. I have great memories. And, and he's made a huge impact in my life where I jump into his Jeep and he'll have bags of money, bags of food, and we'll go from one village to the next. And he would be giving food out and giving money to people. And he was just so humble and and always laughing and joking, just happy. And then one day, Brian, just, just before my 12th birthday, we had a phone call in the UK. My dad picked up the phone and we had just dis- discovered that my, my grandfather had an accident and had passed away. And uh, that was 38 years ago. He was 65 years of age, so fairly young. And everything changed after that. Because what I witnessed thereafter, which lasted for over two decades, is, is a war with my father's generation over the assets that my grandfather had built. And that caused a huge amount of pain for me personally where I could not understand it. Why, why was I told on one side that this is my family that we go and visit every year, and now I'm told they're not my family? And the, the emotional blockages and issues for my father's generation that they had between each other was now being poured onto to my generation. So I think it really started there unknowingly, that I needed for myself more than anything answers to questions. And then that led to an entrepreneurial path, getting involved in HR, human capital management. I built an executive search firm in my 20s. And I really didn't know why I was in these industries, but I found out later because all these things I was involved in, in were to do with people and psychology and HR because I needed answers to my questions. So as a result of that, I then started speaking and educating people on the things I was doing around that time, built a brand and then one day I was speaking at a conference, about 500 business owners there, talking about building dream teams and the HR aspect. And when I was done in the break, two people came up to me. And these two gentlemen said, "We, Mr. Reg, we love your content and the way you delivered it and what you talk about. Is there any way we could invite you to, to our, be our business owners and our family in the Middle East? And I said, yeah, I'd be on it. And cutting a long story short, I ended up going for a week. And as I met these two members again, they introduced me to their father and then I met a grandfather, then I met somebody else. And within a week, I'd met 47 family members. Oh, wow. 47 family members involved in a in a a business, a fourth generation business. And because I was an outsider and I knew about people and understood how to read body language, ask the right questions, understand that when someone says something, it's not what they really mean. There's something else that they're really trying to say And people confided in me very, very quickly. And what they started to do was whisper in my ear when they were telling me they had business issues and that's why I was there, but they didn't have business issues, they had family issues. And that was getting in the way with what was happening on the business. And that week just reminded me of what happened to my family. And I thought if they don't sort this out, they are going to sabotage this legacy. And pretty much at the end of that week, Brian, I decided that I think I found my purpose in life because of my childhood, what happened with my grandfather. And the next gen, I thought, I need to sort this problem out for this family. And I got obsessed. I absolutely got obsessed with this industry. I thought the first thing I've got to do is research. Who's out there? Who's built a legacy? How have they done it? So I started to come across families that have been around for more than five generations. Eventually, I published all my work over 15 years in my last book called Unleash Your Family Business DNA, where I found examples of of eighth, ninth, tenth, twelfth generation. I came across a Japanese family which this year is approaching 1,443 years, is how long they've been around, Uh, they are going to be celebrating to to, to go into 48th generation legacy. So as I came across more and more of these examples and started speaking to people, visiting countries to meet families, I thought there is a way of doing this. And combined with my experience in the human capital, HR, space, I wasn't coming from a wealth management background. I wasn't coming from an accounting background. Uh, what well, a lawyer, like typically the traditional types of people out there get involved in this industry. I was a bit naive, you know, from that point of view. And families liked it. They thought this person really is taking the time to get to know us first and understand our, di- our dynamics and our DNA before he's recommending any solutions. And I think that became, the, that became the winning formula. That became the thing that everybody liked. And then I just got introduced to more and more families from one to the next, and then built a firm right, with partners and my back office team in Dubai and now have grown into other countries. And we've just served more and more families and the IP has grown, our toolbox has grown, our case studies have grown. And yeah, we've now, on the advisory side, supported now just over 200 families. So that's how it started.
2: Yeah, just awesome. And while I was excited to have you on, we have have a lot of family office folks come on the show, but very few have exposure to Middle East, Asia, and Africa. And you really do have deep expertise there. And it's such a growing market in many ways. But the concept of a family office is not one that it's been in that community very long. My business partner is Indian. And typically these companies stay private the oldest male runs the company and there there's not a family office right it's just this company that exists and you've seen this play out in china with these liquidity events where they're just now having burgeoning family office could you maybe just give us kind of a high level trend of what you're seeing within kind of middle east africa asia within the family office and private business community
1: yeah definitely maybe to go one step back and it will educate the audience at different levels. I think the first thing is, you know, people always ask me, what is a family business? Family business in the modern world now is very different to what it was like a hundred years ago. So a family business traditionally would be two family members who've come together building a business, but it doesn't start off like that. It could start off with a first generation entrepreneur as a founder builds something and then eventually the next generation get involved. It could be a husband and wife team. Uh, it could be two brothers. It could be a, a father and daughter. So I think there's so many different combinations to this. But essentially, you yeah, have two people are working together in some capacity, whether they're in the business, which is typically the, the the tens of millions of family businesses out there across the world fall into that category where it's under a million dollar a year revenue business. It's an SME you know, or more on the S side of SME. And it's two people who've, who've built something. And the younger generation have got involved from a very, very young age because the family members needed help and needed support. or the children are studying, but part-time in the evenings or the weekends are helping out. They get enthusiastic, they get conditioned, they're they're part of this, and they carry on. And there's many, many businesses like this that have been around for three, four generations and still very, very small. So that's that's most of the family. But then you've got what I call tier two, which would be family business groups, which are typically 30 million to about $300 million a year revenue type businesses, more than two family members. And again, all of them are in the business. Everything is organic. Everything is make money, reinvest, make money, reinvest. And that's typically their their, their strategy. And some of these groups we work with have started with one company, and some of them now have 50 companies in their portfolio and have become billion dollar companies, but very private. So their concept of the Going now to tier one, which would be the multi-billion dollar, typically family businesses, some of them have got to a point where they think, okay, we've got all these businesses. We, we were in one or two situations. One could be, we don't want to be in the business anymore. We don't want to be operating the business, managing the business. Or we don't have enough family members anyway to do this. So why don't we professionalize everything? So most of them go through a process of professionalizing their business boards or their family boards. They have a group or a holding company. And then the family office piece, majority of them, Brian, around the world don't have a formal family office. What they essentially have is a family business group. And somewhere within that group, and they have an office where there's a family member with a desk chair, filing cabinet, and a security box, and a black book. And that's their family office. You know, that's it. And that person manages the assets, is looking at what liquidity is flowing in, what should we reinvest in, what should we buy next? And that pretty much is their basic family office. And then it goes from there to the next stage of someone saying, you know what? I need need more expertise. Why don't we hire a couple of people that only help me? I'm not going to use the financial controller working in the group company or the CFO working in the group company. Let me hire somebody else. Let me hire a chief investment officer. Let me hire a financial analyst. Let me have a couple of accountants. And then the team grows. But that team's only going to be impactful and useful and give you ROI if you've got enough liquidity and assets to manage. So the starting point for a decent family office in today's world would be minimum $50 million of net worth, which could be a combination of... Liquidity coming up from operating businesses and dividends and so on, as well as other investments and assets that they could be managing. And then it goes from there. The largest I've come across in the Middle East would be 70 employees in a family office managing right now just over $5 billion. And all the family members are Purely investors. They don't even get involved in the family office day to day, apart from meetings with the chief investment officer. They're not involved in any of the operating companies, and they get, don't get involved in any of the investments. They have fun. They enjoy themselves. They're traveling the world. They're looking for the next acquisition. Uh, and and most of them evolve once they see. Once you have so much money, it's not about the money anymore. You get to a point where life has to become more meaningful. And, and life has to be more purposeful. So these family offices and large family groups get to a stage where they think, right, we've got to give back. So more and more of them now are using their family office linked to maybe a foundation and getting into philanthropy. So that's, that's becoming a big trend. The last thing I would say is right now, globally, there's just over, the, the numbers may have changed now during the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, just over 10,000 professionally run single as well as multifamily offices that I'm managing a minimum of $50 million of net worth. So that's a lot of money out there. And what's happening now is because there's so much money out there with entrepreneurs, I've got one right now, first-generation entrepreneur, billionaire, over 50 investments and businesses, and he's got two young children. So he's thinking, "Hmm, it's time I start a family office. Why don't I start now? Why do I need to wait until the future? Let me start now. So I think with the trillions of dollars out there of wealth, this is going to continue to increase more and more people are going to start to get more and more sophisticated in running a family office which is essentially good governance good board structure good policies in place a great team that is managing the wealth of that family i hope that helps
0: want to learn more about investing in alternatives get started by joining the capital club where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com.
2: Absolutely. And you talked for this, you talked to this trend line of moving towards meaning mm. beyond the money. Do you think that's a product of this next gen, millennial, Gen Z cohort coming through the family and maybe changing the the, the dynamic of asset allocation and,
1: and reinvestment. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. I've got four next gen members. All of them are, are Gen 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 Z, apart from one who's on the fence of Gen Z and a millennial. And yeah, just their mindset is completely different. And especially now with the pandemic, their view is very, very different of, of the world. Um that they don't appreciate even what's now happening while you're doing this recording with me with with war you know wars breaking out what's happened with with the pandemic when it comes to supporting people you know for them it's we're all in this together they they, 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 they they're not thinking about egos they're thinking about diversity they're thinking about unity they're thinking about we are one we want peace and we want to make social impact, want to create social impact. They're not necessarily driven by money. If anything, it, they want to make money and they just want to do good with it immediately. So they're, they're, they're thinking about being sustainable. They're thinking about the environment. And I, I think we're going to see a huge trend here in the next 10, 15 years. Then we've got the alpha generation coming in, in you know, a complete different mindset of, of how they see the world. Um, and and yeah, I think it's, it's definitely an upward trend. I recently just recently launched a foundation and I launched it on, on on the day that my grandfather passed away 38 years ago. And because of what I learned from him, I thought I've got to do that formally one day. So now I've started a foundation and I've said to my family, we've set some goals uh, by 2033. Uh, we've decided that 50% all of our wealth will be given to philanthropy and to create social impact. And then I've said to my kids, uh, to keep a philosophy going with grandchildren in the future, that if we've got enough in a trust and linked to the family office, that 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 just carries on multiplying. Let's agree a number that we need, and beyond that, apart from creating new startups, whoever wants to start something new, we agree eventually a hundred percent of our wealth will go into philanthropy, and just have a nest egg which can support a couple of generations for basic lifestyle needs. And the rest, go and create. Doesn't mean that you're born into money and you don't have to do anything. Do it the way that we all did it, where we started from nothing. So go and create, go and build something and keep keep that fire in your belly, but but focus on doing good, become great humanitarians, give back to the world. And because we don't know how long this earth is going to be around. I mean, we've got almost 8 billion people by 2050. There could be 12, 13, 14 billion people potentially on on the planet, all-consuming all, all all digging into the ground, um, taking all the minerals, assets of, of Earth. And no wonder people are thinking about staying again on Mars. <laughs> you know, so we've got a lot of work to do. Mother Nature needs help and we, we're we're destroying it. So I don't know if I've got two for philo- 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 even my words aren't coming around, but you know, getting into you know more, more looser, wishy-washy talk, philosophy type talk. I don't know, but I hope, I hope I'm resonating with whoever's listening.
2: Well, and, and so that story you just told about your own family, was that the catalyst for this new book that's coming out? We're recording in February, it's coming out, I think next month, the, the family business messenger. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think realistically it'll probably come out in April. There's a bit of, <laughs> <laughs> it it it's done. I mean, it's done. It's just the, the last few bits of formatting being done with the publishers and and testimonials that are coming in from people all over the world, which i like to put into the book. But essentially, my last book was more of a, what I call a reference guide with case studies, with tools. And and that's been a great book, very helpful for for tens of thousands of family businesses. And now this book is based on 20 years of true events, real things I've witnessed. But like anything, Everything has changed. You know, I can't put all that in a book. So names have changed, industries have changed, locations have changed. And uh, essentially it's 24 parables of real events that we've witnessed with families, mild to extreme. And the, the core of the book is really around helping families understand how to navigate and guide their families and understand what challenges and issues will come up. And uh, there are 24 completely different stories and parables. And at the end of every chapter or parable, there's a summary of reflection questions that the family members should ask themselves. So I'm, al- or, I'm already talking to a couple of TV producers, film directors, who through somebody else has found out about the books so or early stages right now, because they feel this could be worthy of of maybe a series of some type. So we'll see how that unfolds. Um, and see if these 24 stories could be turned into maybe two seasons with 12 episodes per season. Who knows? The next book after this one, we're already working on. So we're at chapter two already called The Family Boardroom. So if anyone's seen Suits uh, or, or, or something like The Mentalist, if anyone's come across The Mentalist, it'll be a combination of those two things, also based on real stories, real events of what we witnessed in The Boardroom. So being in the boardroom with the family and the dynamics we've seen play out. So that's the next book that we're working on. Yeah. So we, we, we're we just trying to do do good by, by taking all our experiences and put them into books and, and create a legacy that way where hopefully one someone will pick up this book 200 years from now.
2: You're staying busy. That's good. Going back to the book that's launching in March or April, right? Maybe a movie <laughs> yeah. target. Um, Something around Yeah. Sure. Any through lines? Or consistent fact patterns that you see in families that are able to successfully navigate multi generations.
1: Yeah, I would I would say that there's four core areas to work on, but I could give you thirty if we had more time. The first area would be to really spend time understanding family members and the dynamics. We're all unique. We're all built differently. We all have our own DNA, and it's important that we understand that. So you could have a father and son. And two of them are built completely differently. One could be highly innovative, crazy with ideas, love starting things, not too good at finishing things. While the father could be the Warren Buffett of the world and a wise investor, very calm, does research, takes time to find out things, doesn't want to rush into something. So you can imagine now what will happen with those two in the boardroom. What's going to happen with decision-making? That's one part of it. The second part of it linked to family is to understand somebody's past. We're doing research right now. We discovered that if you've got trauma in your family, addictions, childhood issues that you've had, if you don't understand them and sort them out, that DNA can p- potentially be passed on and last for seven generations in the future. So these are the things that accountants and lawyers and wealth managers don't understand, will not talk about. You know? So for us, going deep. Into understanding that psych psychology, the DNA of each individual in the family, and then the dynamics of how that comes together, linked with great communication. Um, if you if you have emotional blockages, for example, underlying issues, you're only going to solve that with communication. So if it's difficult to communicate with a family member, or well, we brush it under the carpet, and and that the gap will only become bigger and bigger, and then it will affect spouses, then it will affect the next generation. So I think that's one area of family and individual the next area would be on the business side is to create good governance linked with family maybe have a family charter or a family constitution with ground rules i call it the operating system for the family uh, our blueprint of this is how we want to operate these are our policies and guidelines for everybody whether it's down to education or compensation or how you join the board how you join the family business travel plans there's a whole bunch of things to deep dive into Uh, How we make decisions, how someone takes a leadership role, who's going to be the future CEO, managing director, or chairman, what is the succession plan? All of these things are to do with the family link to the business now. So that has to be clear for everybody. And that's all about avoiding frustration and confusion and giving clarity. And then finally, you get to the wealth component and ownership to make sure it's very clear for everyone that the right money goes in the right hands at the right time and it's protected. So if somebody wants to leave the business, it's okay. We'll still love them as a family member because the family piece is 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 tight. There's a bond. It has strength. It has values. We still love them as a family member, but they don't want to be part of the business. That's okay. You'll have other members who are family members. They're not in the business at all, but because of inheritance and other things from their branch of the family tree, they, they become shareholders. So what happens if you end up with a whole bunch of shareholders where none of them are contributing to the growth of the business, but yet they're all bloodline? Well, that may not be sustainable. That may not be fair to one of the family members who's running the business on behalf of everybody else. So there's a whole bunch of things to do with shares and inheritance and protection around wealth that should be locked in and clear for everybody so these are just a few of the things again i could give you a long list but i hope that helps as starters
2: that's terrific and i think it's a great way to to end this conversation but we might need to do a second installment considering the breadth of your knowledge i want to thank you for for joining me today carving out time on a friday evening for yourself if people listening are interested in you being a a presenter or speaking to their group or interested in in the content the books that you're producing what's the best way for them to find out more
1: People can visit our, our main group website, which is rtsgp.com, which stands for RTS Global Partners. And then we have, just briefly, different aspects of our of, of our group. So we have our own family office, which is Tau Legacy, which is private on the family piece. And then RTS Global Partners is what I manage within our family. And then we have family members of other businesses and other passions. So they can go to that website. And then there's the Family Business Academy, which is our education arm for all our programs, speeches, books. We run the Family Business Academy Club on Clubhouse, so people can go to Clubhouse and and do a search for us there. And then we've got Fobillion, which is the third part. If anyone's interested, they can reach out to me privately or find me on LinkedIn, which is a private advisory board of ultra high net worth individuals, 15 families in the group right now. It's a bit like a vestige of a YPO, but it's only for family businesses, global family businesses. And we come together once a month, virtually once a month in person for a retreat. And it's a sizable group, about $12 billion of net worth in this particular group. There own over 300 companies around the world. And uh, we're all focused on legacy building, cross-mentoring for the next gen. There's deal flow. So that's something which we're looking to grow. So if there's anyone listening who would like to be part of that or a future group, I'll be very interested in talking to them. And then finally, as a result of that, we've now created 4Billion Foundation, which is the foundation we've just launched. So all of that is on the website or on my LinkedIn profile. And the other things are private. People can reach out to me and happy to share more information.
2: Well, Raj, I want to thank you for the time and you're producing incredible content. And I encourage people to reach out and learn more. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. So thank you again.
1: Much appreciated. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with quins.